0: RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world so please check their website for details. Did you know that hydration could be a limiting factor in your running performance? Join us to discover what can happen if you become more than 2% dehydrated. Get some simple tips to guard against over and under hydration today. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance, and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Aileen to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Lab. everybody welcome back i'm aileen and i'm here again with my good friend karen and as you know we always start off by telling a little bit about ourselves and something usually quite random um so today karen um i'd like to ask you about your first race uh what was it and where was it gosh aileen what a question because that's quite a long time ago now um because
1: i think edward was still in his push and he's now going on 19 so it is a while ago but i think that my first race would have been, um, a 5k, the race for life 5k. Um, I mm-hmm. did the one up in, um, Hyde Park. Um, I can't remember what my time was, but I'm sure it was incredibly slow, Aileen. Um, <laughs> but it was a long time ago. I'm not even sure I was recording timings at that, at that point, but I just remember it was a lovely day, actually. And my, husband and son came up to cheer me on and it was even though it was a 5k it was a great feeling of satisfaction and achievement at the end of it that I'd actually done it and um and I suppose it was from that that um that I really started getting into to more events running events um and then and then we just went off and had a nice pub
0: lunch and then headed home from there
1: but what about you Alien? what was your yeah what was your first race
0: uh well my first race was a little bit more intrepid actually. <laughs> um I did I did some a, a race called the Pier to Pier, which is along the coast in the northeast and it starts at South Shields. If anybody's ever done the Great North Run, uh, South Shields is where you end the race. So this was like going in the opposite direction. Uh okay. and you, you run from South Shields Pier down to Roker and Sunderland. Um so it's about seven miles and it's a long you start on the beach um, and you run along the coast. Uh, but I have to say, I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> it was my first race and I was terrified. Really? And
1: what was it, Alien, that was terrifying you about it?
0: uh well first of all because i would never done a race and I you yeah. know I felt like I was jumping in a bit at the deep end um but also when I arrived I went with two friends that are very accomplished runners and mm. uh when we arrived everybody seemed to be a club runner and so I was really shocked that there was no fun runners and everybody right. was, you know looked really serious they all had t-shirts on saying where they'd come from and I was a bit overwhelmed and yeah. um so it was a bit scary. And I started, I remember being on the beach and uh, saying to my friends, I'll just go and stand at the back because I was so frightened. And They were like, no, no, you're staying here. And then the clapping <laughs> went. And I, I can only remember about 700 people passing me in an instant. I was yeah. like, oh my God, <laughs> Oh how intimidating. Um, so, so it was intimidating. Uh, but mm. then I, I sort of I got my feet wet. That was the other thing that happened that's totally freaked me out because the waves came in and I got my feet wet. And then I just had to like dig in. And I found yeah. that actually once I'd got off the sand onto the dunes and up onto the cliff top, um, I just focused on the people in front of me. And then I just started beginning to pass people that I'd spotted, you know, in the crowd that I was intimidated by. And then uh-huh. I started to settle into it. And, um, yeah, it was it was OK. The other big memory mm-hmm. I have of that day was sort of maybe about mile five, um, feeling that I wasn't sure whether I could do it. And I'd been focusing on the man in front of me and I started running aside him, alongside him. And mm-hmm. I said to him, don't hope you don't mind. But, you know, I'm running alongside you because I've never run this far before. And he said, no, neither have I. <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> so excellent. Brothers in arms.
0: Yeah, so the two of us sort of ran beside each other for the last couple of miles and finished together. Um, don't know who he was; never saw him again. But it was nice just to feel that uh, I was doing it with somebody else. So yeah, so yeah, so it's a favourite race. Really, it's one I do every year, and uh, always takes me back to happy times.
1: Yeah, a really fantastic story, um, Aileen. And and also considering how terrified you were, it clearly didn't put you off running because you're still doing races now.
0: Yeah, well I think like you say, it's an accomplishment, isn't it? And uh, I was I was on my way to do the Great North Run that year. The peer to peer is in May, so I mean so it's like a halfway point in your training and nice. lots of people said, Oh, if you can do the peer to peer, you'll be able to do the the great north run i'm not sure yeah. if that's true at all but it certainly mm. um, gives you some sense of satisfaction um and yeah. it's a beautiful beautiful route um it right. really is beautiful but it's a lovely place to you know enjoy the coast so
1: well i think i think yeah. i'll have to come up and do it with you sometime aileen
0: yeah you should and i mean you're you, selling don't have to, it you can do it without doing the race <laughs> you can run it anytime because it's available
1: uh, yes, every day true
0: every day of the week so yeah that's yes. a good idea we should do that sometime yeah so let's, let's get started shall yes. we um, yes let's. So today we're going to be discussing the importance of hydration uh which uh, is very important when you do that kind of race because it always seems to be sunny whenever I do the peer-to-peer so getting your hydration mm. right is really important um so Karen why why is it important why are we talking about this today Well,
1: Aileen, as we know, it's well known that carbohydrate status is a limiting factor in performance. In fact, I think we've we've spoken about this in a previous episode, Aileen, and hydration status is another principal limiting factor in performance. And that's why I think it's really important for us to be discussing it. And those are the key, the two key limiting factors in performance if people can get both of those. Carbohydrates and hydration optimal, then they've got a good chance of of achieving uh, whatever their their running goals are.
0: Excellent. So what Mm. uh, so what you're really saying there, Karen, is if our hydration status is suboptimal, then that could have a major impact on our running performance. Uh, And then, how suppose following on from that, what kind of things would you expect it to affect with regards performance?
1: Well, well, research has shown that um, in most individuals, this is not all, but in most individuals, if they become more than 2% dehydrated, it could result in numerous physical and psychological symptoms. And some of those include sort of that decreased heat dissipation dissipation so the heat sort of leaving the skin dissipating through the body and leaving through the skin that gets um gets compromised and that in itself then can lead to increased core temperature Um, and also from that when um when you're dehydrating you're increasing the rate of muscle glycogen use so that's a really interesting point for people to bear in mind. And psychologically, it's, um,
0: it can lead to poor concentration and also poor short-term memory. Right. So that's really, um, you know, what you said there about hydration can increase the use of glycogen. I think that's a really important part because obviously we're all wanting to be energetic throughout our runs. So if that's happening, an athlete could suffer from both both limiting factors both carbohydrate and hydration at the same time and that could really lead mm. to these symptoms that you've mentioned potentially quite severe and also you know what you were saying about mm. nutrition and the poor memory you know we are sort of mindset and focus is really important when we're in a race so that's another area that um, is quite key for us isn't it absolutely yes so, so do you ever think that overhydration could be a problem? You know, we're all conscious of dehydration, but I know certainly when I was a beginner runner, I, I think overhydration was a little bit of a, an issue for me too. Um what what do yeah. you there, Karen?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. I think that's a really good point to raise because some sometimes people can keep drinking because they're scared of becoming dehydrated. They can sometimes overhydrate, um, instead. And in fact, just a few years ago, I don't know if you remember, Aileen, that, um, there was a death at the London Marathon and it was found, um, from investigations that that was due to complications from overhydration. So and what happens is that overhydration can lead to what's called hyponatremia. So basically diluting the sodium levels in the body. And that leads to that then is becomes an electrolyte imbalance. Now, it's it's um, principally sodium that we lose. But um also it does include magnesium, potassium and also calcium to an extent. So those are the key um the the, the the key electrolytes. And these are all really essential for the cardiovascular system as well as our renal system and clearly if those are compromised um for running or just general health, then that's going to lead to um
0: to to, to general health issues. So it's really quite a serious, um, situation. So am I correct in suggesting, Karen, that overhydration and dehydration can lead to similar symptoms because they both affect the electrolyte balance?
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. So, um, so they're both both sort of um, playing with the, the electrolyte balance. And the thing is that the, the range for electrolytes is so small and it's really important to keep them within that range for um, for good health. And what happens um, in dehydration, um, it leads to a, a lot of sweat. So what's happening alongside the dehydration, people not taking on enough um um fluids is that they're also sweating potentially sweating a lot and it's in that sweat that they're losing the electrolytes again pretend, pr- pr- uh principally the sodium but they're um but they're Im- causing an imbalance in the other electrolytes so that's what where uh, both dehydration and over he- overhydration is yeah. linked
0: uh-huh yeah so it's quite um Sounds quite scientific, really. So it could be quite confusing mm. uh, people to know how much fluid to take on board so that they're, they're in balance and they've got enough to um, cope with the environment that they're in, too. So can you sort of give us some guidance, Karen, on how we should ensure that we're drinking the right amount of fluids? Yes, well, that's
1: that's. A tricky question, um, to answer, um, only because clearly we're all really individual. So each of each one of us will require a different fluid intake protocol. Um, because what we need, our individual needs will will depend on so many factors, including sort of gender, age, sweat rate. Like we're speaking about earlier, some people will sweat more profusely than others. And also what people are wearing um frequency of urination uh, again that's very individual but also um weight body composition and also the efficiency of metabolism and clearly there's going to be um a genetic predisposition there as well for 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 everybody so there's a lot of things to be taken into consideration regarding um
0: a, a hydration protocol right so it is quite um there's quite a lot of different things to think about and i suppose the other thing that is important is to consider the running environment you know so what the weather's like uh, particularly um, will have an effect mm-hmm. i think that's probably the biggest thing to to consider isn't it and how the weather might change yeah. and also i think sometimes you know, sometimes it can be cold and you don't think that you need to be hydrated, but you forget to do it. Yes. So, you know, it's also paying yep. attention when it's, it's a cold weather to remember to, to hydrate. Um, in the yes, absolutely. Of- and I think,
1: yeah, I think that's a good point, Helen. And what I would like to bring in there is that, yes, it would be easy to, to underhydrate, um, because you forget to take on because you're not feeling, um, to, to, you're not feeling the heat but also it can be a time when um, it's easy to overhydrate as well because people are in such a habit of drinking that they continue to to drink in the cold weather but that sort of heat dissipation isn't happening to the same degree and um and also the core temperature, not necessarily the sweating's not occurring the same. Mm-hmm. So it's again, like I said earlier, it really is about balance. It's finding that balance depending on what the the individual's um, circumstances are and what the air uh, temperature is as
0: well. OK, so it's really important then to focus on you as an individual. But could you give us some tips on how? We can all approach our hydration status so that we get more in tune with, um, you know, regulating it up and down in, in whatever way we need to, to do that.
1: Yeah, sure, really. And what I would say again, and just to reiterate what we said at the beginning is just just to remind everybody that it is a performance limiting factor. So definitely requires addressing and thinking about and trying to find that balance. So some things that people could um, consider would be um, ensuring adequate hydration pre-exercise so just making sure that you're taking on enough um before you go out to exercise and that could be about ensuring that you take on some liquids first thing in the morning maybe having some water by your bed taking it on first thing in the morning when you're having breakfast also ensuring you have um you have a drink at that point as well and maybe just before you zoom out the door having another sip as well and also listening to the body drinking to thirst is really important so if you do feel that symptoms of thirst, acknowledging it and doing something about it rather than ignoring it. So it's very easy to ignore those feelings of thirst. And, and like we said at the beginning, what can happen if you go uh, below 2% dehydrated? So just making sure that that doesn't happen. So taking on enough to prevent that happening.
0: Right, so I mean, it's good to know that it's very narrow margins. You know, as you say, just even two percent dehydration can lead to symptoms. But obviously, none of us know when we're two percent dehydrated uh, from a measurement point mm. of view. But uh, what sort of um, symptoms may occur if we if we're in that band area? What what would we notice?
1: Sort of around that two percent dehydrated. Yeah, yeah yeah so you start to you know we spoke about some of those physical and psychological symptoms way back at the beginning aileen so for example maybe thinking about the the poor concentration and then that decreased heat dissipation so if if you're not sort of getting rid of the heat that's building up then it's almost like you can feel the, the temperature building up in the body and you're not able to get rid of that. And that is a horrible feeling. Um, and you often see these symptoms, um, occurring, um, in yourself or you can you can see it happening in others at, towards the end of really long um, events um when people have really pushed themselves too far I think one of the Brownsley brothers I don't know if you remember when his brother helped him across the finish line now I would have said at that point potentially he was in a, at such a dehydrated state that he was showing these symptoms and they quite often call it bonking or hitting the wall. Now these, you, these, these names are used intermittently with, um, issues from dehydration, but also issues from, um, the other limiting factor of insufficient, um, carbohydrates as well. So, um, so they, they speak about bonking and hitting the mm. wall, but you can really see it in people. If you observe, if you observe fast runners, generally happens with fast runners towards the end of a marathon or something.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, seeing yeah. that uh, with the Brownlee brothers. And I think probably we've all mm-hmm. seen people at the end of races, um, you know, in that sort of situation. And it's quite scary, really, isn't it? You know, it's, um, it's something Absolutely. that could be, as you say, lead to, you know, potentially really serious outcomes. Um, yes, uh, yeah, it, you know, yeah. It's, it's another warning factor, isn't it? Really? It's like, you know, it, nobody goes out running to harm themselves. So you, you you do have to really take that on board as an important um overall health issue, not just a performance limiting factor. It's really um, uh Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes. And and we've been speaking about the heat, so so just remembering about increasing that fluid intake um in in the heat. So when you're going out in hot temperatures or even I know um when people go to the gym, they don't always um, drink a lot when they're on treadmills, but again, you build up such a lot of heat and, and sweat quite a lot on on treadmills. So to be mindful of that as well—that it's not just about when you're outdoors in the heat; it could be when you're indoors in the heat as well. Just being mindful of of um, of fluids, and and also for distance runners, especially, just thinking about electrolyte drinks when you're when your training is really increasing. You're doing um, many more longer runs. Um, and, and especially when it's under hot conditions, then just thinking about those electrolyte drinks so that you're keeping the, the electrolyte balance and, and listen to your body really sort of if you're, if you're, if you're sort of feeling any sort of symptoms, um, at all from the ones that we've spoken about and probably ones we will speak about uh, uh, later on as well, then really think about what do you need to do? Are you taking on enough, enough, um, fluids?
0: Okay, so it's really important to think about your own personal circumstances and your lifestyle as well when it comes to planning hydration strategy. I remember earlier in the conversation, Karen, you said things like, you know, making sure you're drinking water before you go out on a run. And I think a lot of runners do do very early morning runs and maybe don't take account of their dehydration when they first wake up in the morning. Um, But are there, are there any other tips that you could um suggest, Karen, that we could follow?
1: Yes, I think um, as well as sort of the pre-exercise, also during exercise, um, ensuring that you're taking fluids with you. A lot of runners don't like carrying anything in their hands, which is fair enough because it can slightly imbalance you. So if that is the case, then sort of thinking about a camelback, if you're happy to carry something, a bottle on, on a waistband or belt, and um, but again, if you want to be as light as possible because of speed and performance, then just think about what where your what your route is. Are there, are you, is there access to water on your journey so that you can just sort of take um take sips? And I know parks are really good for that. Big parks tend to have water fountains as you go round. So just thinking about the access to fluids during during your training as well. Also, um, thinking about introducing some salty snacks afterwards because, um, having salty snacks can help trigger the thirst response. So therefore getting you to think about, um, think about taking on board more, um, more fluids And, and clearly salty snacks are going to have some sodium in there. So you're helping to replace any, any lost electrolytes. Um, Also, when training, I think I mentioned this slightly earlier, when training in cooler temperatures, just make sure that you don't then go into overhydration. It is a case of adapting your, your fluid intake to your circumstances. Um, because we've spoken about this, what can happen with overhydration and underhydration, and it can lead to, to stomach upsets. So just to be mindful of that.
0: Yeah. That's the really helpful tips, Karen, to think about. Pre, during and post running and racing and how you, you would adapt your hydration response really to what's going on. Um, so that's really helpful. Um, what I was just thinking about when you were talking there, Karen, it's again, coming back to our, uh, our mantra about everyday nutrition and everyday hydration. So it's making sure that you, mm-hmm. you have that baseline of optimal hydration and that's really going to then support your hydration. You can tweak it up um for you know endurance runs and and for competition um and, and one of the things that always um well not always but occasionally I'll get clients who um you know tell you very uh, proudly how much water they drink and some of them are actually drinking too much water um mm-hmm. you do get people that you know they they're over hydrating just on a day-to-day basis so yes. i think it's good to have a baseline foundation you know i suppose everybody always says well baseline is a liter and a half but again it depends on your body composition too doesn't it and mm. what you're doing on a day-to-day Absolutely. basis so having that foundation is good but then changing it um uh, so that's that's just a little uh, thought yeah from me. um so thinking again about the I was thinking about the key symptoms that uh, might suggest that somebody's dehydrated. Is there anything else that you would um, that a runner might focus on with regards to um, noticing if they were dehydrated?
1: Yes, I think probably one of the most common um, ones that people suffer from is cramping mm. and um Usually that is either of the calf, that seems to be the most common area, the calf, the toes, um, or the arch of the foot. Those seem to, it could be in other places. Again, everybody is individual, but they tend to be the most common common places where people will feel cramping. and that could be an indicator that there's um, a sodium insufficiency. But, but on saying that, generally it's, it's, it's sodium, but it could also be a symptom of insufficient magnesium as well. So that's worth um, individuals bearing in mind.
0: Yeah. And sometimes when uh, people are experiencing cramping, it's not just when they're, exercising it. They sometimes get it at nighttime. So that's another indication, you know, if you're getting cramps when you're resting or sleeping, um, that would be, you know, another sign that maybe you need to address your hydration or your magnesium, um, status. Yes. Um, so is, is that something yeah. that you've had, uh, problems with in the past, Karen?
1: Yes, I have, Aileen. Um, I've suffered from it. I, I used to suffer from it quite a bit, actually, before I, I started learning more about um, nutrition, about hydration, about my food and fluid intake generally um, around my training. Um, and um, it, when I was doing the distances, I used to really suffer from it. And like you were just saying, Aileen, it wasn't so much the cramping during, it was the cramping afterwards. So the after effect of potentially a cr- quite a chronic um, sodium um insufficiency and 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 mine actually became so severe um that I was starting to feel lightheaded uh, quite a lot of the time and especially getting up in the morning and also having just ever so slight um balance issues and I have to say it was quite scary because I was thinking what's going on here what is happening and then it just so happened I I was eating some salted um salted cashews and you know like you get a lot of salt at the bottom of the bag mm. and for some reason I just wanted to keep eating the salt that was at the bottom of the bag and from then which I did and from there on in the lightheadedness and the the balance issues it just dissipated and mm. that's that was almost like a wake-up call for me it was like oh my god you know what am I doing here
0: yeah. and it
1: was from there and also the education that I've done since that made me realize the importance of keeping it, keeping it all in balance. But anyway, how about, how about you, Aileen? Um,
0: well, I thought not too severe. I did. Um, I was mm. quite shocked the last, last um autumn when I did the Great North Run, I got some cramps in my calf towards the end of the race. And that was really scary. And I knew it was happening. And I was, I, I was had to slow down because I was worried that I was just my calf was just going to go into a spasm and I'd end up falling over um and it was interesting because um I had a friend um staying with me the night before he was doing the race and she was taking magnesium um you know she that was part of her routine that she was taking magnesium the evening before and it did you know I was thinking (laughs) as it was happening to me I wish I'd done that um so you know Mm. it's something that I'm conscious of now um and I do think it, the other thing with magnesium is that it's one of those nutrients that gets depleted quite easily. Um, mm, and it's, uh, it, it's particularly related to um, stress. So when people have gone through a period of stress, uh, sometimes the magnesium levels can reduce. So it's one of those ones that needs topping up from time to time. Um, so it's an interesting sort of, well, they call it. Yeah. It's a universal type of uh nutrient isn't it we need it for everything so it's a good one to um, have in the tool bag isn't it yes yeah, great okay definitely. so um that's been really helpful looking at all the key symptoms and there's lots of them and they shouldn't be underestimated mm-hmm. so hopefully everybody's now tuning in when they're noticing these things and uh finding uh, ways to help them. But I'm wondering, you know, we're going back to the, how do we know we're dehydrated? Is there an easy way that you um, would explain to clients on assessing their individual hydration levels?
1: Mm. Well, that's a that's a great question, Aileen, because, um, you know, there are some really complex and mathematical ways of assessing your hydration levels by considering your your um, sweat rate. But it's all a bit complex and it's all all to do with numbers, etc. But there's a much simpler way of monitoring it. And that's by um, just assessing urine colour. So, and you can get these charts. They're really easy to um to find on the internet, and also we house one on in the nutrition zone as well for people. So um, so so you can just use the chart um to assess the color the color of your urine. It takes you through the color that it should be if you're you're properly hydrated, if you're dehydrated, or also if you're overhydrated. So I think that's a, that's a really great way for everybody to to just sort of keep an eye on what their hydration is doing their levels are what i would say there is that the key time um, to be looking at it for um, hydration levels is that first wee in the morning um because you haven't been taking on the fluids during the night just assessing the color this is for dehydration certainly just assessing the color in the morning um um, before you drink anything is, is, is a good indicator of your overall hydrate, hydration status.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a very simple uh, way of getting people to check in on themselves and notice. Um, and I think that's, uh, that chart's a really good tool. Um, and I, I use it just with general health, uh, for clients who might not be drinking enough. But I've also noticed when I'm out and about in doing corporate work, I noticed in, um, the toilet facilities in office buildings, a lot of, uh, of them have those charts inside the cubicle doors, uh, which is a really good health promoting message. So I don't know whether anybody's ever noticed that at, at their place of work. Um, so that, you know, I'm, I'm sure people yeah. will be familiar with that kind of chart. And as you say, you know, you can find it. Um, I think we've probably got a blog about it and there'll be a chart there. And yeah. It's in the nutrition zone, but you're probably able to find it, you know, just by googling it if you're interested. Um, it's a bit of a talking yeah. point with the family as well. If <laughs> you catch all absolutely, what color, their, what color their pee is, it would be yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. a discussion point at breakfast, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're beginning to sort of wind up now. So, just one last question before we end. And um, do you consider sports drinks to be hydration? Because uh, a lot of people do use sports drinks instead of water.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Alien. And I do think that, um, Sort of sports drinks have their benefits and have their pitfalls. So, so you know they are they are there. They've been designed to provide the added glucose that you you need, um, in a fluid form to 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 make it easy to absorb. So, in in that respect, you know they're quite beneficial. They're also they also sort of provide carbohydrates at a good level. So, quite often they've got twenty to thirty grams of glucose within a pack so again that just keeps it it keeps it easy and simple for people um it's sweet tasting which some people um enjoy and it's also thought to to help reduce the perception of effort that there's been a lot of studies into that sort of sweet taste and and what it does for performance And, and, and it's been fine to sort of reduce that that feeling of effort um and also i suppose the other benefit of them is that some of them also include the electrolytes in them, so you're getting sort of a lot of a lot of n- nutrition in one in one sort of um, fluid pack. So those are some of the the benefits I would say, but but the pitfalls of them um, that I feel is imp- really important to address as well is the fact that the sugar content tends to be incredibly high and as well as having, high sugar tent, um, content. A lot of them have artificial sweeteners as well and artificial flavouring. So they'll use things like sucralose, aspartame, um, and also acesulfate. Solif- potassium is not an easy word to say <laughs> uh-huh. and um and it's better known as e number 950 so that's probably an easier way of of, do, of doing it and, and in some of these drinks they use the e number but in others they do use sort of more more of the um scientific name for them also um some of them add caffeine as well. So, so you're having a lot of glucose due to the sugar and you're getting another kick through the caffeine. So it's quite a lot for the body to, to, to process and, and thinking about that stress response as well. And I know that caffeine is well researched for, um, for its performance effect. However, to be having so much of that in one drink, I think potentially could be harmful. Um, also uh, the high sugar, the artificial, um, uh, sweetness as well could potentially lead to, to digestive distress. So those digestive symptoms that, that people, um, suffer from and, um, and also weight gain. It's it's well known that especially artificial sweeteners um, and high sugar content can lead to weight gain. So so there's there are fours and get against for them, Aileen. Um, you know, being um, nutritional therapists, we're always about sort of um of of it being natural. And I think there are not more much more natural. Products out there as well, or people could potentially think about making their own and taking their own homemade foods. That's still going to give them the glucose, um, so give them the energy. So that would be my take on it: is to keep it natural.
0: Yeah. So I think the the message there is, you know, they've got benefits, but use with care and be a, you know, again, it's all it's all about your personal situation, isn't it? You know, it probably, yeah. you know, if you if weight's an issue, you've probably never given it a thought that the Energy gel might be contributing to sort of a resistant weight loss. And, um, you know, and if you've got a digestive complaint, it could be um, linking to that. So, yeah, so it's, it's definitely it's a big topic, isn't it? Um, but it one, is. of the, one of the questions I was uh, wanting to know was um, could you just quickly, um, you've thought I've touched on it, but is are there any other reasons why um, artificial sweeteners aren't recommended?
1: Yes, the, the the artificial sweeteners that you know they tend to be used because they taste very sweet and like I was saying um earlier that tends to reduce that perception of effort. Um and it is thought that that a Cecil Fame K and a Spartame Um, they're they're thought to be 20 times sweeter than sugar. So you can imagine that sweet taste, that sweet kick that people are going to get. But it's thought to have that sweet taste, but without the calorific content. But... It's thought that um, the sweetness, although that's sort of uh, the, what seemed to be the positive side of it, that the 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 downside is that they are thought researchers out like, that's not conclusive, but that there is some research to suggest that they may be linked um, or they may be carcinogenic. Um, they do tend to have um neurological and behavioral consequences from chronic use, and that 's been that 's been suggested in some research done on on child behavior and and the link to artificial sweeteners in the likes of adhd and and some of the behavioral conditions there um well known for potentially causing um headaches and migraines in in people. And like like we said, we have spoken about that that weight gain, and, and the the potential reason for that is um is it's thought that the sweeteners aren't able to get through that blood brain barrier, so they're not able to get inside the the the, the the brain to let the brain to let the brain know that it's that it's satiated so it means that the brain never feels that it's that it's been satisfied that it's it, it's received the glucose that it needs because our, our our brains need glucose for energy but it doesn't get that so it doesn't get that satiation satiated feeling so it that can bring on cravings so people want to keep having more if does um, that make sense
0: yeah so so basically you're drinking it the brain's not acknowledging that you've had that drink and then so you reach for another one so you just take exactly. it on more than you actually require so it's, yeah it's yeah. amazing really fascinating i think it's um it's such a big topic um would mm. almost like do another episode on it i think um because a lot of people yeah. do use these products and you know and, and a lot of the um, manufactured bonds sponsor braces and, you know, with the view to getting us all hooked on these things. So there's, there's a place for, for, um, ergogenic aids, but I think it's choosing them carefully is the message, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So mm. we're, we're almost wrapping up again. Um, so Karen, uh, just as usual, would you give us some key takeaways that people can remember from today's episode?
1: Yes, absolutely, Elaine. So I would just like to to reiterate again that it is a limiting factor in running performance. So really important to acknowledge it and uh, and um, to sort of address it. Um, it needs to be considered pre, during, and post training and events as well, and um, and also thinking about um considering your hydration status on a daily basis so thinking about having that glass of water by your bed uh, having some water before you leave the house when you're going out to do your training thinking about starting to butt, carry a water bottle with you for any run over an hour definitely and, or thinking about planning your route so that you, you have access to, to water fountains or other forms of water on your run. Or maybe think about a camelback if that's more appropriate. And I would also think about, um, uh, purchasing electrolyte tablets or drops that can can be added to the water, just for um, ensuring that you've got that there um when the temperatures change or you're going longer distances, and that there might be a need to to uh, consider electrolyte balance.
0: Right. Well, that's a really- so. Those would be my key ways. Excellent, yeah. Karen. That's a really good roundup for today. Um, so thank you so much for sharing um, all your tips with us. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking about this today, Karen. Yeah.
1: Yes, I have too, Aileen. Really, thanks ever so much.
0: Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Eats, Performs brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster, and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now.